Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Meredith Constant. Yes, she is back. She is our celebrity and royal historian. I love those two combinations so much, and that's why we found each other. In fact, she was a neighbor, and we wouldn't even go there because that was so crazy. Uh, Meredith, welcome to the show. I am so glad to be back. This was my hope. I was hoping that you would find time for me in your busy schedule and, you know, making all the hits of home decor on TikTok and that I could come back and talk to you. I know you're like a celebrity now. Whatever. It's so weird. It's like TikTok. I don't even know what's going on. But listen, I do it for free. I don't care. I love home decor. You know that. So and we both have had the same house exactly in the same neighborhood. Go figure. That's the funniest part is when I've, you know, been on your lives and I'm watching, I'm like, it's like looking at my house, just a much nicer, well put together version of my former house. (laughs) I know. It's so weird, guys. But listen, she and I have become really good friends. And I love that she has been talking about some of the recent royals. We can talk about the history of the royals. Um, and anything in between. So I promised you guys that we would come back or she would come back and we talk about Princess Margaret because she's particularly interesting to me and and also with Meredith. So let's start with her and we'll just kind of see where this goes, Meredith. I love Princess Margaret. I don't care what anyone says. (laughs) I understand that she could be rude. They actually would say that, I don't know if this is PC, but that she had royal Tourette's jokingly because of the things that would come out of her mouth. Yeah. But I I think also, I think she was complex. I don't think she I was do. a bad person. I don't think she was an angel. I think she was someone who found herself thrust into this position of second born yeah. and really struggled with what that meant for her life and what her life would look like. Because in some regards, she wasn't important enough for certain things. But when it came to, you know, potentially who she married, then suddenly everyone had an opinion. And so I think what's interesting, actually, is I read Prince Harry's book, Spare. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to realize that he and Aunt Margot, as he called her, didn't really have a close relationship. Really? They didn't know each other very well. She was someone that, you know, he saw, you know, at the dinner table and stuff, but they didn't have this relationship. And it's kind of unfortunate because I feel like there there could have been something really valuable there, a, a friendship between the two of them trying Absolutely. to navigate what it means to be a spare. Absolutely. You know, and to those of you that don't know, Princess Margaret is or was Queen Elizabeth II's sister. And we just lost Queen Elizabeth last summer. And I think we lost her back in what, 2004, maybe something like that, right? Yeah, it was it was in the 2000s. Actually, she died really close to when her mother died. I think they died within a short period of each other. They passed. I think Margaret passed first. But I could be wrong, but I, I believe that they passed pretty closely together. Right. And that's the thing. When I read up on uh, Margaret, and I think that's why she's so fascinating to me, people were afraid of her. Like they were afraid when she'd walk up to them and what she'd say. They were afraid how to act. They didn't know if they should curtsy or what they should do around her. She would, you're right. Maybe she had Tourette's of the mouth. We're kidding, guys. We're just making fun of that. Uh, Or maybe she just didn't have any qualms about saying what was on her mind. And I kind of feel like that's kind of refreshing to me. I think people feared her because she would read you for filth. And you never knew like what mood she'd be in. And I think part of it too just comes from like, a boredom and wanting to shake things up too and and just almost kind of like an irritation with life and so she would just like mess around with people she'd be like i'm done with dinner and if she was done everyone had to be done even if they weren't finished because protocol 
And if she wanted to stay up all night playing the piano, no one could exit the room until the royal did. And so she would just like mess with people. Um, <laughs> my favorite fact, though, about her is that Picasso was obsessed with her really? and like desperately wanted to marry her. And I'm one of those people that I feel like I learned about Van Gogh, Picasso, all these artists. And I believe all of them are from the 18th century and they're not. And that always like freaks me out. I'm like, oh, Picasso literally didn't die until like the 1970s or 80s. Yeah, yeah. And that for some reason messes with my brain. He was obsessed with her. He desperately, like, he come up with all these weird like fantasies about asking for her hand and all this stuff. And apparently she learned about this at some point and was just absolutely mortified. <laughs> um, he was absolutely freaking obsessed with her. Mm. He also liked that she was shorter because he's a short guy. And Margaret was very short. That was one of the things, too, on her wedding day. She bought her own tiara instead of borrowing one from the vault because she wanted a tiara that would add four inches of height to make her look taller. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. That is hilarious. You know, with Margaret, now, Margaret was a partier, guys. Like, she partied, okay? Like, and I think that's contributed to why she died earlier on and her sister yeah. lived, yeah. She lived hard. I mean, she, uh, yeah. Now, I've watched The Crown, and I did see that actual season where they highlighted the sisters when they were young, and, and Elizabeth took over The Crown when her father died. And I don't know how accurate it was for Margaret. What do you think on that? Um, I mean, obviously, there was, you know, a real surprise over the dad dying and, you know, upset over that. But I think, too, it must have been so weird being Margaret and Elizabeth really growing up. Their uncle abdicates the throne when they're young. Yeah. So they go from never anticipating right. this life to being thrust into this life without their consent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, they didn't have a choice. And suddenly Elizabeth is being groomed to be the future queen. And Margaret's just like this kind of side thing yeah. that isn't as demure as Elizabeth or as, you know, contrite. And, and, and you know, she's just a different personality. And I, I just think we see kind of time and time again between Margaret, Diana, Fergie to an extent, Megan, that people that can't fit into this box really suffer yeah. at the hands of the firm. I'm not even saying the royal family. I'm yeah. saying this whole structure and this dynamic of a monarchy right. and i think that's really margaret because even like with the peter townsend of it all i feel like i have like a potentially controversial stance on this okay i actually don't think princess margaret and peter townsend is like this great love story really people bring it up all yeah people bring it up all the time like she was denied this guy but she first fell in love with him when she was 17 years old he was 16 years her senior. Okay. He also goes on to later marry another younger woman. So, like, there's something that feels slightly predatory about Peter Townsend to me. Mm. What's interesting here, though, is the power dynamic. Because in any case where it's an older man with more power, you would be like, well, this is, you know, this is not okay. Right. What's interesting in this situation, though, is it's actually Margaret who has more power, despite being younger, because she is second in line to the crown. Mm. But I actually think in many ways, like I think this is probably, to me, it's more first lust that you never really get over. But I don't actually like go into this narrative of she didn't get to really marry her first love. I do think it's BS, this whole, again, but it's not my rules, that the queen has to okay the marriage and that they did their best to break it up. And they did break it up. Right. They got Townsend transferred and he ends up meeting another young woman in France and marries her. So he has a thing for younger women. Yeah. And I just, I think it would be very simple to have this narrative of she was denied everything, even her first love. 
But I don't know. There's always something about that relationship that doesn't feel right to me. Well, no, and I agree with you. I can understand why you think that. And here's another thing. You know, they really weren't groomed to be royals. And so they didn't quite know how to behave. I think also... Queen Elizabeth II, she was always more demure. Thank goodness she was the firstborn and it wasn't Margaret. Uh, But when you talk about like Kate and Meghan and even Diana, I have to now I know Kate's family had a lot of money. I know Diana's family had a lot of lineage in money. But to me, it's like when they say, well, Diana was a commoner. You know what? Have you seen Althrop? I mean, seriously, I don't understand how she was she was already a lady. That was a title for her before she even did, and she grew up hanging out with, you know, Prince Charles, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward, all of them. And her sisters did too. In fact, her sisters dated Prince Charles, or at least one of them did. So, but I don't understand how they think she wasn't, no, no, was she royal? No. But when they call her a commoner, I don't know if that's, it, how is that possible? Well, I think it's more, um, and again, I think the thing is like the classism and the class structure in England is very different Um, because even like my favorite is, you know, kind of the Kate Middleton rags to riches thing. And it's like her family had generational wealth. They were not, but they are considered middle class because they are not aristocracy. So you look at Kate Middleton and her, her upbringing, you say that's, that's upper class in America. I mean, that's at least upper middle class, but she's described as this middle class girl here, but it just has to do with her lack of royalty where Diana did have the lineage but not like when you were marrying off like to princesses of other countries you know so it was a little different but I think a lot of it is I think more to do with this kind of media and PR blitz to make these women relatable I think there's this weird push and pull to have these women like Diana like Kate even Megan people relatable but untouchable and I think that's where they all get into trouble Mm. with this narrative because you can't really be both no, you know, no. you can't really be both. But I think it also plays into this like kind of Disneyfication, princessification of royalty mm. and playing into this kind of dream that a lot of people have who have grown up on Disney movies of a certain age of like you two can be a princess. You two exactly. can just be this common girl, this fairy tale. You get the glass slipper on your foot and you marry a prince. Right. So I also think it's part of just like playing into that narrative. Again, the more I look into especially the British media and the royal rota, the more I see in the ways in which they're playing a different game and maybe don't have a like a pulse on how the public actually feels about these people mm-hmm. because they're in cahoots with them True. because yeah. there's a relation yeah. there's a symbiotic relationship there mm. predicated on making money and continuing the popularity of this institution absolutely what do you think about the institution of just the crown as far as just you know having royalty in any country what do you think about that i think it's kind of a neat tradition although it is high for the taxpayers you know to help maintain these kinds of things in different countries we don't have that i mean what is your take on all that it's really hard because i think a lot of part of the delicate balance is that the british monarchy is is supposed to be apolitical Right. Because if it's not, why do we have it? Exactly. Because it's not supposed to be political. And I think there's this real delicate balance. And it's it's hard because on on the one hand, it's not really my place to say, should they have a monarchy or not? I'm not British. Mm -hmm. I think, though, there is like I, I think there is something worth examining about the monarchy and the relationship to the Commonwealth countries. I think it's all worthy of examination. But I think that's actually the examination that certain people have interest not to have examined. So. The Royal Rota is one of them. If you make your money off of writing about the British Royal Family, you certainly don't want them to go away. Obviously, the British Royal Family, it would behoove them to remain popular and relevant. And then I also think, and this is something I'm starting to research, is I think there's something with like the Tories 
and the British royal family, because it also feels like the more conservative members of the British royal government tend to be more pro-monarchist. Mm. And we also tend to see, I, of course, have made a mind map because I'm out of my literal mind, <laughs> of the people that have worked for the British royal family that have also worked for uh, the conservative party and vice versa. Mm. And there seems to be a lot of ties there. So, again, I also think the British royal family takes some pressure off of whatever's happening in government. It's right. like the economy's in a downward spiral. People can't afford heat, but look what Harry and Meghan are doing. Exactly. So I almost think, too, it gives them some cover. So I, I don't really know where I fall on this because the one argument that pro-monarchists make is that the British royal family is good for tourism. Sure. But if you look at countries like France that no longer have an actual monarchy, it's not like people don't visit Versailles right. by the millions yeah. every year. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how strong of an argument that is. I think it always comes down to like who does it benefit and who benefits continuing this tradition of a monarchy. Yeah. It might be some parties in government. It's definitely the media. It's obviously the British royal family. Yeah. Um, so I think those are discussions that a lot of people do not want those to have. And it's funny because before I read Spare and I started learning more about the British royal family, I kind of thought, I've heard people say, you know, William and Kate will, will be the ones to break this. They'll be the ones to like dissolve the monarchy. Mm. I don't think that's true at no, all. I don't either. I don't think that's Mm-mm. even a possibility. I think, again, I don't have a good read on Kate. I feel like there's been a lot of uh, attempts to portray her in a certain way in the media, and I think it's kind of left us with not really knowing who she is at all. But I think she, and potentially her mother, I don't know, allegedly, have worked way too hard to get into this family. And I'm not suggesting that Kate doesn't love William, but I don't think that woman is giving up the crown, and I don't know if I necessarily blame her. Wow. Okay, so this is new news to me. And guys, Meredith has a TikTok channel and she has blown up her TikTok channel. It talks all about this kind of stuff. And I love her videos. Now, it's not without a little flack. We're not going to lie. So tell me what really gets people going on on your videos, Meredith. Oh, my gosh, my videos. Yeah, I was like, it's funny because when the documentary Harry and Meghan came out, I said, oh, I don't understand why people are upset about this. And my TikTok got disgusting very quickly. And I said, wow, I'm not doing that again. But I'm a glutton for punishment. And I kept doing it. Because I realized what I bring to it that's a little different. So there are people on TikTok that are very much royal commentators. They know everything about every jewel, all the everything. I don't know that stuff. And I don't purport to know that stuff. What I'm really interested in what I have a background in is the communications angle. Okay, What's the relationship with the media? How are these people being portrayed and why? Who is benefiting from this? That's really what I'm interested in. I right. think it annoys people that I'm not, because it's funny. I have been told that I'm, I'm not team Harry and Meghan enough. I've been told I'm too anti-William and Kate. And the fact that people don't seem to know where to fall with me actually makes me feel like I'm doing something right. No, it does. My number one, yeah. my number one criticism is that I'm an American, which is hilarious to me because, you know, Britain is notorious for their isolationist policies. They never get involved in other countries at all. So it's just like, really, that's your argument? Um, <laughs> it's also just a weird argument that you can only have opinions about your own country. Again, there's a lot of different techniques that trolls and bots will use to try to silence you. Yeah. And one of the big ones is the fact that you're an American. People get... I can't say anything about Kate and William. I talked about the BAFTAs outfit. I decided to wade into fashion. And I did a test. I opened it with a complimentary point of view. And then I went into what I would have changed about Kate's outfit and maybe William's tux. People were so furious that I said something (laughs) negative about Kate. That I, that I, I, I suggest, someone said, wow, 
this coming from someone that's wearing a sweatshirt. I'm like, do you expect me to wear a ball gown while I'm giving my opinion? I mean, I could wear a crown. I do have crowns now. Say, you do have some tiaras. <laughs> Dude, that is the funniest thing. I didn't have my, I'm so dumb. My TikTok's not set up right. Finally, someone's like, wait, aren't you turned on for like brand deals and stuff? I'm like, what's that? I don't know. So I turn on all the things that I'm supposed to have turned on thinking no one's going to reach out to me. I'm a micro creator at best talking about media. Like, this is not sexy. Like, Tarte is not reaching out with a new highlighter for me. Yeah. And then I get an email a couple of days later that's like, hey, we're sweet, day. Um, Do you want some crowns in exchange for, obviously, video and whatever? And I said, do I want crowns? <laughs> yes, I want crowns. Yes, I do. Do Thank I want you. crowns? Of course I want crowns. So I did a whole video, and it was, it was actually super fun. I'm not going to lie. Like, what better than to have a crown? Oh my God. So I think now when I when I have to read people for filth, I think I'm going to wear my crown from now on. See, that is fantastic. And you look fantastic in them. And you'll go on with your crowns. And a lot of them mimic the way they look in England. You know, a lot of them look similar. And so you'll be like, this is, this, this is very similar to this crown. And it's just so funny. And, you know, but you know your stuff. And then you come on and you're still pissing people off. That's funny. <laughs> always, always. I mean, honestly... The best advice I've ever gotten is it's not my it's not my job to know everyone's opinion of me. And it's not my job to change it. Because if I changed everything I did because of every little comment I got, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be talking about anything. People get mad about the weirdest things. People got mad that like I was like, I don't see a big deal about Harry joking about William's baldness. He also jokes about his own. And some woman got on me about like the plight of men and baldness. And I'm like, what? ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, you need to calm down. Someone accused me of being Meghan Markle in a filter. That was the craziest one. <laughs> like, this is just a long con. Because you know what Meghan has time to do? Run a really small TikTok account. I'm like, to what end? Yeah, exactly. So I educated people on, I decided to take people through Occam's razor that day while I did my moisturizer right. because I contain multitudes. I know. That's why you're so entertaining to me because I go on and I see your videos or I'll see your live and I'll come on and you're just going off and it's funny, but you do it, honestly, you do it in a very kind way. I don't ever see you being so negative when you rebut some of these takes that people take on you when they're being just nasty. Uh, you do it respectfully. Do you tear them a new one? Pretty much. But you know what? They kind of need it because they've already been doing it to you for a long time. You let it ride for a long time and I think finally it hits you, right? Yeah, it kind of does. So what I started working on, because for a while I would just like rage out, you know what I mean? I mean, I was still like, I was still calm in my, because again, I, I think TikTok is just adult speech and debate for me. So I'm like, how can I leave an argument with logical fallacies alone? I must rip it apart. <laughs> but what I started doing is I'll check in with myself and I, if I'm getting really annoyed with TikTok, then I know I should not be replying to anyone. It's not the time. But if I am in a good place and I'm like, you know what? There's a reason I want to check this person because there's a larger point I want to make. That's usually my thought too. I'm not just like reading someone for filth. There's also, there's a larger point and a, and an issue that I want to point out. And I kind of want to play with the mouse a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. Like if I'm in that place where I can do it and I'm not going to get kind of all worked up, then I'll do it. But I've really had to check in with myself and make sure that I understand like my desire to reply, you know, what is it based exactly. in? Is it because I'm hurt and I'm angry and I'm lashing out and I want to have a voice or is it because I have a larger point I want to make, I feel calmer, you know, and I just, I just kind of want to, people like a read every now and then. And yeah, I, I don't go for like looks and I don't hit below the belt. Oh. I try not to do any of that stuff. <laughs> 
Well, and I think people like a good debate, whether they agree with you or not. I think just getting another person's take, whether you live in uh, Canada, America, wherever, you know, um, you're you're not where they are. So you're getting a whole different read than they even have because they have their own thought about the monarch. But let me talk to you about this. So had King Henry VIII not changed the religion from Catholic to the Church of England, yeah, do you think things would have changed a lot? Ooh. Yeah. That is, that's hard. That's like the butterfly effect. You know what I mean? Right? <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell because with a personality like King Henry, like it's hard to imagine him being a person that wasn't going to, I mean, it's like, okay, if Catherine of Aragon had had the son and you know what I mean? Like, would it have potentially been different? Yeah. And it is an interesting, I mean, I, it's not something I've, I've thought a ton about, but it is an interesting thought, you know, what would things look like now? But also, I don't know. I wonder in what ways, I'm not Catholic, but in what ways it would have hindered things now with like Charles, for example, because they had the archbishops of the Church of England just happened to change the rules around so that you could marry a widower or um, a divorcee, even if their spouse was alive, because that was the thing, like Camilla Parker Bowles' husband was still alive. So yes. technically, they shouldn't have been able to marry. And it's like, well, the archbishop decided to change the rules. Okay, well, <laughs> who's the supreme defender of the faith? Charles that's exactly what King Henry VIII did. You know, he changed the rules. He totally started his own church because he wasn't allowed to divorce his first wife. Then he decided, well, I'll start my own dang church. And he did. And then he got his way. It's like when a rock band breaks up and someone's like, I'm going to go solo. I'm going to show you. <laughs> um, right. That's what he did. He went solo. He, he went solo and, and did his own thing. It, but I think that's another good example for people that get really wrapped up and protocol is that rules change depending on who you are and we see proof of that um we see proof of how the rules are bent and change depending on who we're talking about absolutely (laughs) even here oh yeah but you know it's funny because when i think of king henry the eighth and what a tyrant he was uh, i don't think he was at the very very beginning i think it was a pretty good guy you know i mean i don't think he even intended on being the king his brother arthur was supposed to be the king he died so he married his brother's wife so there you go and there goes the whole catherine of aragon but then when he was allowed to divorce her because he changed to the church of england he loved being a catholic though he loved you know the ritualistic stuff of being a catholic so that stayed the same i think for him it just was called something different so in his mind it was the same thing yeah no i totally understand what you're saying yeah the, the way that man was able to justify six yeah. marriages is pretty impressive oh my god he he beheaded three two survived and one died after childbirth so yeah there you go I mean, and you know, whenever he'd lose a wife or he'd chop their head off or whatever, they'd find someone else in another country and they're like, hey, it's your turn. And they're like, uh, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, uh, actually, he doesn't have a great track record. I don't really know if I want to get involved in this. <laughs> Plus, he doesn't have a really good leg anymore and he has a really bad odor. Yeah, nasty uh, by the end. I actually, Alison Weir's book, yes. the, the Six Wives of Henry VIII, I love that book. Yes. I think it's so well done. And what I love, too, is that she really brings in different original source material and says, okay, well, some people say this and some people say that. And here's why I believe it falls maybe more to this side or that side. But it really shows you how just one word change or one differing opinion really changes kind of the course of how people look at historical documents. So I like love the way she lays things out. And it's how I try to lay things out in my videos not saying I'm Allison Weir, let's be clear. Oh, no, but yeah, just yeah. the idea that, you know, here is one person's point of view. Yeah. And like history is based on who's telling the story and who gets to be heard. So you have to take everything with kind of a grain of salt, which can, you know, kind of mess with people. 
Right, right. And you know, you're challenging them, you know, it's the same with anything else. When you could challenge someone, whether they agree with you or not, to me, you're doing something right, because you might evoke some kind of conversation, good or bad. Um, but when you treat it with the respect I think you give them, even if it's a little sarcastic, sometimes I get that I do it too. Um, I, I, can't talk about, I can't talk about Piers Morgan and not be sarcastic. That is not fair. Right? I know. Oh, he's just a nightmare. He's, and he's oh, such he's, a joke. He's been honestly researching Camilla Parker Bowles and digging into 90s archives was easier than trying to suss out Piers Morgan falling upwards. <laughs> And, you know, you surprised me, too, uh, going back to uh, Kate Middleton, that I didn't have any idea that she tried so hard to become part of the royal family. And her mother did as well. Really? So so here's the thing with that. I haven't researched this yet, and it probably annoys people that I haven't gone in on it. But again, I don't really fall positive. or I think all these people are complicated, is what I think. I, I agree. Um, so there is this kind of, again, allegedly that, you know, Kate was a year ahead of William in school and she got into a different college. Again, I'm forgetting the names of colleges, which is great, or universities. And she takes off a year and ends up going to the same school as William. Okay. You know what I mean? And so there's this been this idea that her mother has really sort of prepped both girls for this kind of life and to get them in the path of royals or, or people higher up. Um, and, and that Kate was, you know, the eldest and the first one that she focused on. They actually, uh, allegedly, uh, Pippa and Kate were called the mysterious sisters in school because of social climbing. Again, mm. you have to take all of this with a grain of salt. And I, I'm trying to dig more into Carol Middleton, her, her mother. There's been rumors, too, that Carol Middleton is friends with Camilla Tomini, who's a writer who I dug oh, into really? on my TikTok. And it's fascinating, really, the way she writes about Meghan and Harry versus Kate and William. And it's hard not to read her stuff and not see favoritism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But again, I'm very careful about what I feel confident factually saying. This is just stuff that I've kind of heard around them that I can I can see hints of it. And maybe there's potentially something there. Again, I think what's really interesting about Kate is I was looking at articles and in the beginning, she's really portrayed as this kind of like vibrant, like athletic girl. She's pretty popular with her classmates. And then as time goes on, especially recently, she's shy, Kate. She's quiet. Mm. She's demure. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think the first reason is they want to really paint her in this image of Queen Elizabeth. Right. Because let's be honest, you're not going to be able to paint Camilla Parker Bowles like that. People know too much about her. Oh, yeah. So I think there's an effort to make Kate in this in the vein of a woman who was really loved and respected. Like, sure. There are people that do not care for the monarchy, but really liked Queen Elizabeth. So I think there's a desire to kind of rewrite history for Kate mm-hmm. and and paint her in the same vein. And I feel like it's kind of sad because I feel like we don't actually know who Kate is. I also feel like maybe part of the shy and demureness is there has been kind of a, a call over the last couple of years about what do the royals do? Kind of back to your conversation. What are yeah. people supporting? What do yeah. they do? And where's the balance between being apolitical, but also bringing about change? And that's kind of been a point of contention with Kate's early childhood awareness initiative is it's this fact finding, listening, kind of gathering thing. And people are like, okay, well, we know that we know that this is important. What are you going to do about it? Right. And I don't even know where I fall on this. Is this something that she needs to do something about? Is that really her role? And if it is, is that part of why we're kind of showing her as shy, working behind the scenes? Like, you might not be seeing a lot from her, but don't worry. It's just because she's shy, you know? So that might be another kind of PR spin. So I just, again, I just think Kate is someone that I don't think we really know her. 
I just don't think we know her. I actually feel more confused about Kate Middleton than mm-hmm. I did before I really started diving really, into this stuff. Really. Well, they want to keep yeah. her not controversial. They want to keep her very likable. And you're right, maybe a little mysterious, if nothing else, just so that she doesn't cause controversy. I mean, seriously, they've had enough of that over so many years of, you know, with Charles and Diana and with Fergie and Andrew. And, I, you know, I never hear about Edward and Sophie ever. Well, that's funny because I watched the documentary Reinventing the Royals, which was a, a BBC documentary. It's really great. Um, it actually, what's really interesting about it is that it starts pre-Megan, it's pre-Megan Markle is where it ends. Okay. So this is before Meghan Markle is on the scene. So it, it's this snapshot in time before there's Meghan Markle. So the only married couple out of that generation is William and Kate. So it's fascinating mm. to see how people feel before the Meghan of it all. Really? And What's really interesting about the documentary is with Edward, Edward was trying to do this like working thing where he had this ardent productions TV and really looked like he was trying to capitalize off his family connections for this this wow. TV uh, production. He tried to like get Charles to agree to a reality show or something and Charles is like, absolutely not. <laughs> and then there was this controversy that Edward's TV production team was filming William at college, at university, when there was supposed to be a, a moratorium on that. You know what I mean? Like oh. there was explicit rules and the fact that your brother is breaking those rules But the documentary actually gives this point of view that maybe this was actually more of a thing cooked up by Mark Boland, who was the PR spin doctor for Camilla and Charles in the late 90s, and more a way of taking heat off of Charles, making him look like this good, concerned father. You know, the the kind of a potentially a start of throwing other individuals in the royal family under the bus, kind of starting that culture. Maybe it had already been there, but this culture of comms teams fighting with each other. Because right. even Harry talks about the fact that he and his brother discussed that when they were older, they were not going to have comms offices the way their father had with his siblings. Right. Which leads you to believe that they you know, saw some stuff and said, we don't want to act like this. Again, the more I learn about the British royal family, the more you see, at least as of recent, is they're really more like individuals than a well-oiled machine of a family. They really act in these silos and with these comms teams, you know, throwing someone else under the bus to make your person look better or feeding information about someone else so that you can hide the bad story that could come out against your person. You know what I mean? It's like choose your fighter. Well, and the other thing, you kind of feel used too when you go in and you're doing whatever, you're the son, you're, you're the heir or whatever, or you're the spare. And depending on your rank, they use that against you or for you. And I hate that about their relationship now. It totally depends on who you are. And it's funny because people do bring up a lot. Okay, like obviously Meghan and Harry were the scapegoats. What? Why not Prince Andrew? I mean, in right. many ways, Prince Andrew was, you know, very far down the line to the throne, you know. And so people use that a lot. I think the difference with Prince Andrew, and I think this comes into when there's different rules for different people. Right. Prince Andrew has been called time and time again, Queen Elizabeth's favorite son. So I think there's favoritism in there with Prince Andrew. And I think the other thing, too, I think Prince Andrew knows where all the bodies are buried. I think that man knows things. Do you know what I mean? I don't think Charles is going to come after him because I think Andrew knows too much. I also think that Andrew's stuff is so serious for the royal family. Andrew's 
alleged crimes are are more serious and have the potential to unearth other seedy details about the British royal family. Because there's been other talks about like Jimmy Seville, like other people that potentially were inappropriate with people and affairs and all this stuff. Like I feel like they don't want to unlock that box that Andrew is kind of sitting on and testing them. Right. No, Andrew is a trip, that whole situation um, and deflecting from the things that he has done. Um, And you guys here, here's the good thing. Meredith has a Patreon where she talks all about this guys. And you can get on to, you could, I think you can become a member and hear all the nitty gritty about all the things that we're talking about in way more depth. If you're interested in this, she also hosts a podcast called constant reality check, where she also talks about the housewives of, I think Salt Lake city and some other ones. So tell us a little bit about those things, Meredith. Yeah. So my Patreon really developed out of people being like, where can we get more? And I'm like, more of what? You know, I was like, I don't know. Uh, So, of course, I start a Patreon the day after Christmas, as one does. I'm like, I should get up at five in the morning and do this. But (laughs) I'm glad I did. And it's funny because I had to get over a lot of self-doubt. Like, why should people pay for me? And then I was like, well, if people want to show their support and it helps me to get the subscriptions I need to do this research, the research isn't free, you know, why not? So we have a nice little group over there, like 35-ish people. It's $5 a month. Each week, I give basically a podcast episode where I talk about what I'm researching. You get the first look. So I give the first look into whatever I'm about to discuss. And then other things that are percolating that I need to kind of work out and just talk freely about without worrying about someone on TikTok assessing every word that comes out of my mouth. I I also talk about things that are too hot for TikTok. Like I kind of go like how the sausage is made behind the curtain. I'll talk about things that I just feel like I can't convey in three minutes. Like actually over on my Patreon is where I give my theory on Samantha and Thomas Markle. I do have a theory on them that I have not put on TikTok. Because I do not think people can deal with nuance on TikTok. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and you're so good at it. And your research is is impeccable. And that's why I think you're doing so well with it. And and like I said, you've got that. You've got your podcast. And you're just really blowing up. And I'm so happy and proud for you. Because you're doing a a good job explaining how things work. Because I don't know if everybody understands how the monarchy works. Or anything else that you talk about. Because you deep dive understand the way the media works and I think that's been part of what I think I can help with is I don't think people really realize like who owns the media why the media does things and 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 the impact that even incorrect info can make because a lot of times what people will ask me I finally had to do a video on my TikTok where I I talk about why I quote and look at the Daily Mail like those kind of sources is because they're a part of the, the royal rota So you can write it off as trash that no one believes, but clearly someone is believing it and someone sees value or it would not be a part of the Royal Rota. Also, as much as you can say you ignore it, if people are sharing these headlines and you're seeing them maybe on the papers, the walk to the tube or whatever, you are internalizing some of that. Even if you don't believe it subconsciously, you're taking that in because why I even started looking into any of this was because I couldn't figure out why when I heard the name Harry and Meghan, I kind of had a negative feeling Mm. like something didn't feel right. And I didn't know why I don't know anything about these people. I have no reason to dislike these people. Why do I have this really bad feeling? Like, why do I feel negative towards them? Right. And I wanted to explore that and also figure out where does this vitriol come against these people that you don't know? And what I really come down to is it's a combination of things, but a large part of it is the media hammering these people. Yeah. 
for yeah. six years straight. If you have a negative story come out about you on the daily, I mean, when I say Megan has tens of thousands of articles written about her within the span of a couple of years, I am not being like wow. hyperbolic. Wow. She, and, and so if you have multiple pieces a day, dissecting everything you say and i think there's a larger point of this i think the idea of making megan look like this big liar is so that when she brings up something like racism you can right. say well she's just a liar she lies about everything i right. think it's it, it there's some level of protection there right. so uh, that's really why i started this i had this curiosity about why i had this unconscious bias against these people right. and i feel like i kind of figured it out and along the way it might have validated some of what megan and harry have been saying which is why people kind of want to reduce me to like a, a sycophant for them, <laughs> right. which I'm really not. No, not at all. And like I said, guys, if you want to find out more about what Meredith talks about, uh, about the roles or anything that she talks about, um, on even on her podcast, those kinds of things, I'm going to put everything in my show notes. And Meredith, what did we learn? What's the best thing you can tell my listeners about what you've learned so far? Oh, boy. I think the best thing that I have learned is how truly small the upper crust is in, mm. in Britain, mm-hmm. how many connections there are, either family, people going to school together, marriage, etc. how interconnected all of these people are at that top level. And that's really where my research is headed. Yeah, I want to not only know the British media connection to the British royal family, I also want to understand how the government comes into play too. Cause I just think there's a big ball to untangle and I'm just, I'm just pulling threads. Wow. Great answer. I love that answer. So guys, like I said, I put everything in my show notes and Meredith, thank you so much for being on my podcast. You are my resident celebrity Royal historian and I will have you back. You know, I will. I am honored. You know, this is like my favorite thing to do. I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.